can be uh, seated, and if you have children, you can dismiss those children to children's ministry. And want to thank you, children's ministry workers. Realize it's been a long time since I've said that, and just how how much you care and serve. I want to thank you so much for what you're doing. Uh, if you'll open your Bibles to the book of Luke, chapter 2. Luke, chapter 2, uh, beginning in verse 39. Hoping I wouldn't need these, but uh, Luke chapter two verse thirty nine. This is the beginning of the story of Jesus's life, and Luke is giving us details about his childhood. And we'll, we're going to see in verse thirty nine is is the end of a report of Jesus being taken to the temple to be dedicated unto the Lord. It says in verse thirty nine, and when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord. They returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of the Lord was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of Passover, and when he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom, and when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, supposing him to be In the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem, searching for him. And after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers And when his parents saw him, they were astonished, and his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them, as his mother And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. I remember distinctly being taught this story as a little kid from children's ministry myself. And I remember thinking it was so cool that Jesus got to run away from home for three days. And at the time, when I'm hearing the story, I I didn't think, I thought three days was just about right. You know, that's a nice little break from parental authority like, man, I wish I could take a three-day parent vacation. And now as an adult, when I read this, I'm freaking out the whole idea of looking for your child for three whole days. My goodness, this is a completely different perspective. Sometimes I wish that when you read the Bible, certain sound effects would occur or voices. And I wish, I don't have the ability, but I really wanted to read the statement that Jesus gave where he said, um, um, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? I really wish I could read that in a cracking 12-year-old voice. Right? I mean, that's the, <laughs> it, would just, it would just have so much more effect if you could hear that in the voice that it was actually spoken. A 12-year-old boy's voice saying that uh, after three days of searching frantically for your children, Jesus is really amazing and always has been. I want to focus in on the word favor this morning. I'm going to tie back into our, our 
our passage in Acts that we've been laboring over. I want to, want to focus on that word favor. It appears twice, more or less, uh, the idea anyway. First of all, in verse 40, and then again in verse 52, verse 40. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Verse uh, 52, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. I was praying that passage over the children that would be dedicated today and just over the children of Providence the other night. And when they got to uh, uh, Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature, I, I secretly prayed that God would make all the Nichols kids like six foot tall, just because that would be funny. <laughs> Um, I get more mischievous in my prayers than I'm, I'm coming to realize. But, uh, but this word favor, I, I, I do want to think about that word today, and I want to think about like, well, what it is and why it's good and what do you do with it and so on. Um, so the idea is that favor is really good, right? Proverbs says that a good name is better than riches. To be esteemed is greater than gold. We want to have favor. My mom figured this out somehow, and she told me very early on, that you need to act in such a way that adults who have wisdom and experience actually want to spend time with you. And she was unlocking a really interesting key to life, and that is that if you can be the kind of kid who adults can tolerate, uh, they wind up giving you all the wisdom that they have. And, uh, and so uh, very early on, I was taught to be nice and, and, and be well-behaved around older people. We used to visit, my, my great-grandma lived in a retirement home, and it was like a, a high-rise kind of deal there in Jeff City. And uh, we, used to, we used to come in the lobby and uh, go to see her. She lived on the eighth floor or something. She was in her 80s, and I loved her to death. She's the one that actually raised my father. And uh, uh, we, would, <laughs> we would go into the lobby. My mom was so conscious of being, of winning favor of older people. Uh, in, the, in the lobby, they would always put all the flowers over from the funerals of the residents that had passed away. But my mom would go through all the flowers and pick out a handful and take them upstairs to my great-grandmother and act like she bought her flowers. It's pretty smart. And they would have these ice cream socials, and uh, it was mostly, you know, older, older women. You know, guys die. There's a reason guys die first, because they want to. Uh, 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 anyway... So, so the, the, they would have these ice cream socials, and there would be a lot of older women in their 70s and 80s. And uh, there would be music playing. And I would dance with these older women as an 8-year-old boy. And I would eat ice cream and cake and dance with women all day, you know. It's perfect. But this sense of, uh, of being a child who is growing in favor, that's pretty cool. It's a big deal. I heard someone say one time, uh, not that long ago, don't let your kids develop any habits that annoy you. Because if they annoy you, they annoy everyone else. And you need everyone else interested in your kid because your kid has a lot to learn. You know, it's, it's this sense of growing in favor of, 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 of having this, this capacity, even as a young person, to generally uh, to make adults be well disposed to you. To, be, to make adults interested in investing in you. You know, you, you know if, you're, if you're a parent, you kind of have to. But everybody else, it's totally optional. You know, the rest of us adults, like, we just get to choose. It's, it's, uh, it's, like, uh, it's like, well, I, I either want to or I don't want to. And so uh, this whole idea of, 
growing into favor. It's this sort of on-ramp to wisdom in general. It's this, it's this on-ramp to growing up and to, to understanding the world. And so this idea that, uh, that Jesus was growing in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man, it's pretty cool. We want that for our kids. We want all of that for our kids, of course. This ties in, as I said, to Acts chapter 2. And if you'll turn there, I'll get my readers back on. Acts chapter 2. Look at verse 46. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So that's pretty cool. What you've got here is the spirit of Jesus entering the local church and taking them through an experience very similar to his in his youth. So you've got on the one hand, the young Jesus, and you've got on the other hand, a young church that's filled with Jesus. And they're both experiencing more or less the same story. I've found and I need to develop this further. Very interesting. Jesus, when he takes us, when he redeems us, when we become his, he really, he really does walk us through his life. And we go through situations and experiences very similar to his life. I mean, that's kind of what the scriptures are getting at, for instance, when it tells husbands to love their wives as Christ loved, his, loved the church. What's happening there is Jesus is stepping into a Christian husband's life, his heart, and he's working through the same patterns he worked at the cross in regard for love of his wife. I mean, that's sort of what's happening when a wife who is of equal value or greater value than her husband willingly submits to her husband. That's, that's the spirit of Jesus coming in and saying, you know, I was, I'm equal with the father, but I, I did not consider equality uh, with, with God something to be grasped. I, I laid it down. So it's really interesting is that what Jesus does, both in local churches and in individuals, is he walks us back through his life. He walks us back through his experiences. And the way that I would describe this, and I'd like to talk more about this sometime in the future, is, is that Jesus loves giving his life to the Father so much that he redeems millions more, fills them with, him, with his spirit, and then he leads those millions, you and me, to lay our lives down for the Father too. It's, it's Jesus taking us and making us living sacrifices as he was a living sacrifice. We'll talk more about that in the future, I'm sure. But it's just kind of interesting to see that you've got the childhood of the church, and you've got the childhood of Jesus, and they're both running along kind of parallel tracks. They're both experiencing growth, and they're both receiving favor. Right? Pretty cool. So what is favor for? The Bible says we should desire it. Um, we should value it. What is favor with man for? Well, I think we understand that favor is helpful for influence. Right? I think we understand that favor is helpful for influence. Uh, the, the two almost seem like twins. Like they're almost the same thing. As we see Paul progressing through his ministry, uh, we, we find him finding favor with key leaders and having some influence in that favor. So I think we understand that if God gives us favor, one of the reasons he's given us favor is so that we can be an influence. 
that's a big term right now. It's a monetary term right now. To be an influencer has all kinds of social media implications. If you're a social media influencer, that means something. And the idea is, is that if people are paying attention to you, they're going to start doing the stuff that you do. And so when we ask what's the good, what's the reason, what's the purpose for influence, I think we could, or for favor, I think we could say, well, it seems, and I think we understand this, and perhaps that's why we revel in the idea of Christian celebrities, even when they're super flaky and maybe not even really Christians. Uh, We get excited when we see Justin Bieber sing a hymn, because we assume that because he has all this favor, that he will be able to turn that favor into influence. And by the way, it, it's, it was somebody else 30 years ago. It was Bob Dylan 30 years ago. I mean, somebody always changing in, in the role of someone who suddenly looks like they might be a Christian and we jump on board super quick because we assume, well, this guy has so much favor that he'll be able to have a lot of influence. Well, maybe. Maybe that happens sometimes. But you know, if we're thinking about Jesus and his childhood and favor and we're thinking about the church and its childhood in Acts 2 and favor, we probably ought to make the connection that neither of them kept it for very long. That's probably important to notice. That favor wasn't something to be grasped. That influence wasn't the goal. Not in the way that we think of it. Not in the sense of favor. And so let's just pause here and think practically about, well, what does this mean for you and me? Well, what it means for you and me is is that up to this point, you have a certain degree of favor in your community. People don't probably hate you very much. The less they know you, the more they like you. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no. no you, so, so, so we all have a certain degree of favor. And we should understand that that's from God. And that the people in our community, our neighbors and so forth, our coworkers, that favor that we've been given is from God. But then we need to understand also that losing favor is from God as well. We need to understand that, that, that Jesus is taking us up and causing us to live his life with him. And that that looks different at different times. So, for instance, I just did something random, and it worked out numerically. If you look at Luke 2, you see Jesus getting favor with man, right? God and man. And then if you look at Luke 12, there are thousands of people swarming Jesus. So now he's got a big crowd. The favor's increased, but there's also uh, opposition. It's also a passage, a chapter that includes the conversation about the Pharisees. So Luke 2, favor. Things are good. Things are great. Luke 12, influence with opposition. Thousands of people swarming, but also opposition for the Pharisees. Luke 22. What's Luke 22? All of his friends leave. He's totally abandoned. Judas betrays him. Peter denies him. The disciples scatter. The Jews stand against him. All three of those are the life of Jesus. And if we expect to live the life of Jesus, we need to understand that 
each one of those is an appropriate experience of the life of Jesus. And that that's just part of what it means for Jesus to take us through his life, for the life of Jesus to be in us, working and willing his good purposes. It it means that sometimes, like the church in Acts 2, we will have favor, and then sometimes, like the church in you know, Acts 12, we won't. Favor is not to be kept and cherished in the way that we instinctively want to hold on to it. I asked earlier, what is favor for? I think that you could say, biblically, that God sometimes gives us favor so that we can be a good influence. But I think that the larger reason God gives us favor is the reason God gives us anything, and that is to put it on an altar and light it on fire to the glory of God. And this, I think, is troublesome for us. Because once we've got it, we want to pretend that it's something we must keep and use and that for heaven's sakes, why would you ever want to lose the favor of man? Well, because Jesus did. One of the things, and I really, um, so if this whole Jesus thing is true, some of you might be going to hell. Okay, so let's, let's just, let's, and that's eternal and terrible. So let's take a moment to be serious for a second. One of the things I've always struggled with personally, and in walking with people who are looking at the Bible and Jesus, one of the things I've always struggled with is, how do you know if you are doing the whole church Jesus Bible thing because you want Jesus, you love God? And how do you know if maybe you're doing it just because you found as an American that it's a decent way to build a decent life? And essentially, you're just using it as a recipe book for a secure marriage and decent kids and so forth. Like, one of those is right, and the other one gets you in hell, right? Like, you don't get to use God like a genie. You don't get to use his Bible like a recipe book. It's like, how, how do you know where you are? How do I know where I am? I mean, that's really something that's kept me up at nights and really made me think and ask. I think one of the ways we know is by what we do with the good stuff that we get as a result of obeying. Because what we see in Scripture is is that often the first wave of obedience results in good things. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature in favor with God and man. And the church grew in wisdom and stature in favor with God and man. What do you do with that once you have it? Well, I think the, 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 the unredeemed, using the Bible as a recipe type person, will take that stuff and park it and try to freeze frame that moment as the essential expression of their life. And that the Christ follower will take what they've received, favor, finances, whatever, and put it back on the altar. Right? I think that's the difference. 
And I think that's what we see with Jesus. Jesus was an influencer. Jesus was a celebrity, and there was a path for him to remain an influencer and a celebrity. There was a path for him to keep the good life that God had given him, double down on it, and sort of hoard this great life. But what did Jesus do? He laid down the favor that he received. He gave it away so that he became a hated man, a despised man. Isaiah a man of no reputation. What did he do with the favor that he had from man? He put it on an altar and set it on fire and dedicated it to God. He threw it out to the ground like seeds that fell to the ground and died and bore much fruit. What did he do with the good stuff that God gave him? He sowed it back into the dirt. Why did God, the Father, give Jesus anything good? Why did he give him a body? To crucify it. Why did, why did the Father give Jesus favor with man? To lay it down. What? Right? So, so that Jesus, all the good stuff that the Father gave Jesus, the body I have prepared for you, the text says. Why? Why a body? So that you could lay it down. So that you could sow it like a seed for eternal joy. And so when we talk about favor with the church, we rub into the questions of uh, how we're going to respond to the increasing hostility on social media against Christians, how we're going to respond to slander, how we're going to respond when friends turn away, and you know what we're going to do with all of this. And the answer is, is if you, even if you could hoard it, it would be terribly, terribly stupid to do so. The answer is, is that when God gives you a reputation, you put that reputation down for Jesus, and you double down, and you hope. You hope, and you know that maybe you'll have more Luke 2 in your life, and you'll keep growing in wisdom and favor and stature, or maybe you'll have more Luke 12 in your life, and you'll have influence, but also opposition, or maybe you'll have Luke 22 in your life, and everyone will leave you and forsake you, and you will be alone. But the idea is, is that because of what Jesus did with his favor, the church had the opportunity to have favor, right? The tricky thing about the, the, the passage in Luke 2 is that Jesus has favor with God and man. And um, he had to give both away so that the church could have the favor of God and man, right? I mean, he had to become a man of no reputation. He had to endure slander. He had to be uh, the subject of much abuse. He had to die alone, forsaken by his friends. He lost all the favor that he got, that God gave him. And then it got worse because he's on the cross and he cries out, Eloi, Eloi, you know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that this moment we see in Luke 2 of a childhood Jesus expanding in both favor with God and favor with man, we see in Luke 22 is entirely vanished. And we would say just by taking two snapshots, what a waste. That man wasted all the good things 
God had given him. No. He buried it in the ground like a seed. He invested it. And three days later, his heavenly father found him. And exalted him and gave him a name that is above every name. See, the, the, the Luke 2 favor we see that God gives Jesus is not a bait and switch. And the Acts 2 favor that we see God gives the church, it's not a bait and switch. God doesn't give you, it's not even just a test. I mean, it is a test, but it's not only a test. God doesn't give you something and then see if you'll give it away. He gives you seeds. And if by faith you'll believe in him and his goodness, you'll plant those seeds and it'll feel like you're dying. Dying to self. Dying to possibilities. Surrendering something dear to you. But if you'll bury those things, yeah, it'll feel like you're dying. But then three days later, figuratively, the things he gave you will have multiplied to an eternal degree. And someone else, or many, maybe many someones, will suddenly find that they have favor with God. And the whole thing keeps going and keeps going and keeps going. Like the acts to favor with God and man doesn't happen unless Jesus gives his away. And what do we see these people in Acts 2 do? Well, like I told you before, I've thought about the alternative history of, well, how would you rewrite Acts? Take away the missions component of Acts. How would you rewrite it? Like, what, what would that look like? And I think you would get to this moment, Acts 2, Acts 3, before all of the opposition. And I think you would see them say, you know, this is great. Let's hold on to this. And then, like, you only have three chapters in Acts, I guess. I don't know. Or maybe they just get together a lot for Bible studies. I don't, I don't know. But, but something dramatic changes if they look at the gift that God gave them through Christ surrendering his gifts. If they look at that gift and they say, I'm just going to hold on to that. But that's not what they did. And the reason they didn't do that is because they were Christ's. And he was living inside of them. And so they put all that back on the table. They invested all of that back into the dirt. They laid it down like seeds. And before you knew it, well, we've got how many billions of Christ followers in the world, the global world today? How many people know about Jesus? How many churches? How many languages? Was that Acts 3? Okay. <laughs> you're, one, you're one ahead. But you know, how much has changed because these disciples didn't hoard this, this blessing that Jesus himself had provided by laying it down. So I want to talk about a couple things related to this and just wrap this up rather quickly. First of all, I think we have uh, a difficulty defining what adulthood is and why you should want to be one. And I want to start talking about it. And it's tied to this. So covenantal care 
the kind of care we see in the scriptures, and this is modeled by what we saw this morning in a baby dedication. Covenantal care involves giving shelter to people who don't have it, who need it, who would die without it. Those cute little children are entirely vulnerable. And covenantal care means I will shelter you because you need it. With the goal, and this is what growing up is, with the goal that one day you will give shelter to others who need it. Covenantal care is providing shelter to those who will one day become sheltered. In previous generations, the whole idea of growing up was pretty simple. People need you to grow up. Uh, There's a world war to fight. There are Nazis to kill. Like, there are things we need you to do, and we need you to hurry up and get 18, or 17 or 16 might do in a pinch. The concept of growing up has never really changed. It's just we haven't been clear about it enough, I think. So why grow up? What's the point? Well, the point is, is that way earlier than you think possible, God will have given you a little basket of seeds. Like 18, easily. And you need to go out there, and you need to bury those seeds. People, listen, this is, push back privately if you wish uh, about this statement, but I know it's not a very reformed statement, but I'm ready and willing and able to show you the scriptures. People in the world need you to grow up. So what does growing up look like? Well, growing up looks like employing the gifts you had been given into the care of others. That's what it is. So that's what Jesus is doing when he's growing in wisdom and favor. What does growth look like even for Jesus? It means taking, accumulating, accumulating your seeds, and then grown-upness is deploying those seeds into the ground and trust that God will multiply them and care for others. And friends, I'll just make it super simple. If you're in your 20s, teens, uh, parents probably won't like this. (laughs) Um, You shouldn't be... um, You shouldn't be ignorant about what you're going to do for a living and how you're going to pay for yourself and so forth because honestly, you're going to need that to care for others. But don't wait too long until you launch out and say, I'm 18 and there are people out there who need me to love them and care for them and nurture them. That doesn't mean you have to leave the house. That doesn't... That doesn't mean a lot of things, but what it does mean is is that you understand that what you have grown into is meant to be given away, and it's meant to be given away quickly. Suspended adolescence isn't just something we see in 27-year-olds. It's something we see in 47-year-olds who have tried to freeze frame the moment of God's goodness and hold on to it, and they're not willing to take their seeds out into the world and die so that other things can grow. But as we see in Acts 2 and Luke 2, sacrifice always sets the table. People feed on the sacrifice of others. This whole picture of Jesus growing, I mean, it's incredible. 
God loves growth so much that when he incarnates into the world, he, takes this, he, he becomes something that which must grow, both physically, intellectually, even spiritually in some mysterious way. But let's be clear. Like every cell of Jesus' body that grew, you know, the laws of thermodynamics apply. Something had to die. Right? When we physically grow, we feed on things that have laid down their lives so that we can physically grow. And it's exactly true spiritually. It's incredible to me to think that one of the things Jesus would have done was feast on the prophets. He's sitting there with the scrolls and he's feasting on the prophets, the prophet Isaiah, so forth. What is he doing in that moment? He's feasting on their sacrifice because that's what it means to be a prophet. So that even Jesus is growing on the death of others, on the sacrifice of others, on the submission of others. And that's what it means to grow up. It's the, it's the switch. And it, it doesn't necessarily mean it's immediate, but it's maybe close to immediate. And it's the switch. And it's, I'm feeding, and now I'm being fed upon. And my goodness, that is exactly what you were made to do. That is exactly why God put you here. To feed until you could be fed upon. That's what life is. And it's glorious and it's wonderful. It's scary, but it's glorious and it's wonderful. So I want to pray for us, and then I want to, we're not going to do communion today. The uh, senior pastor forgot to order communion cups. Um, and sorry. But I want to pray for us, and then I'll, I'll, I'll introduce us into our time of offering. Gracious God, favor, and whatever else you've given, is sweet and good. And it is completely understandable that as fallen men and women, we would be tempted to hoard the good things you've given us where they can rot and rot us. Um, the things you've given us that are good, whether that's just, um, God, a good family and safety, security, finances, you could go through the list. We see with Jesus that you showered those blessings on him and uh, to some extent he, he, he does employ them. We, we see that for sure. He, he uses them. He leverages them. But there's also an awful lot of just what we would see as senseless waste. Jesus Christ surrendering the favor he had received from man or with man on the altar. Lord, do you, your word says that uh, those who are in Christ will live like him, that we will take up our cross and follow him, that we can expect to have seasons of life where we live in the Luke 2 beauty and the Acts 2 beauty, but we can also expect to have seasons of life where we live in the Luke 22 starkness of suffering. I probably would like to leave this conversation and this prayer by noting that we often think of suffering as something that would befall us when the whole subject of suffering as it's demonstrated on the cross 
is not something that befalls us, but something we walk forward to willingly. And so we need faith, Lord. We need faith to grow up. Lord, you love us. You're so patient with us. The desire to grow up, if it's there, is from you. So, Lord, um, command what you will and empower what you command. In Jesus' name we pray.